Amen. Well, uh, we are in a teaching series on prayer that um, I'm, really, I'm really thrilled about this one because I don't think there's anybody in this room that would say, like, you've mastered prayer. Um, I think we all um, could agree that prayer is something we want to add more into our lives. Even my non-religious friends uh, recognize the power of prayer. Like, I've had non-religious friends that have asked me to pray for them even, they don't be- even though they don't believe in God. They recognize that there's something there. And so um, last week we got to kick this off um, by talking about um, how often God puts us in situations that we try to pray around and God's trying to have us pray through. And how uh, our, our hope in our human nature is to just avoid the hard seasons of life. And often God doesn't rescue us from those, but instead has us walk right through them because he knows that's where we need to be, that's where we need to grow in our faith. Um, this week, as we continue on, um, I wanted to um, just challenge what I think a lot of us uh, have in our preconceived notions of prayer. Um, it, like, I grew up in a church that taught me that prayer was something that um, was like a memorized prayer that was written by a guy I never met centuries ago, and that praying more meant saying that prayer more, even though I didn't know anything about it, and the guy who wrote it didn't say it for me, he just... Uh, he would write it. There's, there's, some of you come from faith traditions that have books of prayer uh, to pray for different situations, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but I think it limits, and it's a different definition than how Jesus defines prayer. Um, it's kind of like taking somebody else's words and saying them on your behalf. It's like a greeting card. Um, I'm not a big greeting card person um, because I feel like it's like six bucks for someone to read somebody else's words once and then throw it away. Um, like, I don't know what to do with greeting cards. Like, on my birthday, I get like four or five greeting cards, and like, I don't know what to do with them after I read them, so I put them on my mantle, and then I throw them away because I'm like, I, I'm not going to keep them in my basement. I'm never going to read them again. Uh, I picked up a greeting card for my wife this week um, just because I wanted to see. No, don't. It's not good. Um, uh, <laughs> Uh, so this one is, this, I think this was their bestseller, is what Walgreens told me. Um, for my wife, cra- why are you guys laughing? This is a big deal. Uh, crazy and complicated as our life can get, I wouldn't trade what we have for anything. And most important, I've learned that I have all I ever need because I have you. See, none of you awe because it's not even my words. (laughs) Like, it's just some stranger wrote them. That's why I don't like greeting cards. Because it's like, it's my opportunity to tell my care, like my loved ones, how much I care about them. And I'm like, instead of me telling you, let me sub in this guy, because he's got better words to say than me. Like, it doesn't mean anything. No offense if you're huge on Hallmark. But like, what I read when I get a greeting card is not the pre-printed stuff. I read the note that the person who gave it to me wrote. Because that's the personal thing, right? Like, in fact, if I wrote those exact words to Kate, I could have just copied the greeting card and put it on a different card. Some of you plagiarize all the time greeting cards. And, like, but it, it's your words now, and that's more meaningful because at least, like, it looks like it came from you. But when you hand somebody a card, you're using, their, you're using somebody else's words to convey how you feel about that person. That's what we do when we turn our prayer life into copy-paste prayers that somebody else said centuries ago and we make them our own. That is not what God intended when he talked about us having an active prayer life with him. He wants to hear from you. He doesn't care how beautiful you sound. He just, he just wants to hear your words. He wants to have a personal relationship with you. And prayer is the avenue in which 
we develop that. And so this week, as, as we continue on in this series, we're going to talk about how do I talk to God? How do I pray? And don't feel silly if you ask that question, by the way, because I think a lot of us do. And I think a lot of us are confused and wondering, how, like, what does it look like? Because Jesus talks about prayer, but I think even then, even when Jesus is talking about prayer, I think there's people that are misinterpreting what he's, what he's trying to say there. Um, in my life group this past week, we talked about last week's teaching, and uh, one of the people in my life group, um, she said something I never thought of, but she was spot on, and she kind of articulated how a lot of people in the group felt about, like, praying out loud. <clears throat> and I, I know a lot of us are intimidated at the idea of praying out loud. Like, right now, if I said, all right, we're going to have a popcorn prayer, I'm just going to call on people to pray for you, a lot of people are like, I'm just, I'm leaving, I'm going, right? You don't want to be a part of that, because that's intimidating, to stand up and pray in front of a bunch of people you don't know. Like, I was a youth pastor for <clears throat> 10 years, and I would see teenagers who spent their entire lives in church, um, and then at 17 years old, I would ask them to pray a 30-second prayer in, pr in front of six of their friends, and they'd be like, do I have to? Like, it's so scary because they're like, I want to make sure I say the right words. And my friend in my life group, she said this past week why she's intimidated. She says, the only people I hear pray out loud are people comfortable praying out loud. So I assume mine has to be good too. Don't we kind of feel that way sometimes? Like, isn't that why some of us are intimidated to pray out loud in front of groups? Even if you've been in church for a long time, it's you assume that your prayer has to be beautiful and articulate, like one of the Psalms. Or like, but that's not what, what God intended. And if you use your only model of prayer as people who pray all the time, then, then you're setting the bar at a different place than where you might be. Like, I feel comfortable praying now because I've been praying out loud for 12 years. But it even took me a few years of like, kind of like awkward, like, I would write out my prayers if I knew I was saying them in front of somebody, and there's nothing wrong with that, but I just felt like I had to say the right words in front of people, um, because just like some of us have stage fright, I felt like intimidated, it felt like public speaking, like the same kind of fear you'd have with that. When I was in elementary school, um, my brother, uh, he's a year older than me, so when he was in fourth grade for the, the school talent show, he dressed up as Elvis, and he sang Jailhouse Rock, and he crushed it, like he killed it. Um, so the next year when I was in fourth grade, our musical director decided that she wanted to do like a history of Tennessee play. That's where I was from, uh, or I, I still am from there. Um, but, uh, she, and, and Elvis is from Tennessee. So they said we needed to pick somebody to be Elvis. And in front of the whole class, she goes, so Stephen, we picked you because your brother did it last year. So you must be great. And would you mind standing up in front of the school and living out your worst nightmare for us? <laughs> And I'm like, no, I have no interest in doing that. I'd rather do nothing on that day, actually. But she goes, oh, well, we've actually already booked you to do it, so you have to do it. And then the whole class stares at me, and they're like, we're not going to do it. You have to do it. It's like that horrible feeling, because I'm like, I think I'd rather pass on singing in front of my entire school, because Elvis sang the low notes, and this was pre-puberty Stephen who sounded very Mickey Mouse-like in my daily life, and for me to hit the low notes was physically impossible. And so they picked a song for me that I had no choice in singing, and they threw on a leather jacket, and they said, have fun embarrassing yourself for three minutes. And uh, it came to the chorus, which, like, there's a, it's called Don't Be Cruel, it's the name of the song, uh, and, like, the, the, the main line, it says, don't be cruel, and, like, you have to get real low, which when you're in fourth grade, you can't. And, uh, and so the only way I could physically sing that was to go, don't be cruel, too hard, that's true. 
And I do that every time I sang that line, and everyone's like, what is wrong with this kid? I'm like, exactly, you shouldn't have made me do this. Like, I was so intimidated because I had to stand, I had to impress people. Like, I had, my brother set the bar high, so now I felt the need to, like, to sing in a way that was just as impressive. And I think the same fear that I had is often how we feel about praying out loud. Because we forget that prayer is not about the other people in the room. You're praying for and to one person. And that's God the Father in heaven. So we're going to look at a passage in Matthew chapter 6 where Jesus talks about prayer. And he's trying to help us realize what prayer is. Matthew chapter 6. Because we so often make it more formal than God intended for it to be. And we make it more like we have to close our eyes and bow down. And we always have to say amen. Most of the prayers I say, I don't even say amen. And God still knows when I'm done, by the way. Like, I don't close my eyes a lot of times. Like, I like to pray when I'm driving, and I'm not going to close my eyes when I'm driving. <laughs> Most of the prayers I say are less than 20 seconds long because something pops into my head. Like, I'll think of one of you, and like some, I'll see somebody who drives the same car as you, and I'll just say, hey, I just want to pray. Like, God, work in their life. Or if I know something specific to pray for, uh, for that person, I'll pray for them. Or if I'm about to meet with somebody, I've started writing my meetings on my calendar in different colors because at the beginning of the day, I'll just take 20 seconds to pray for that person. Pray that our time together is a time of encouragement for both of us. But it's not like I have to sit down and spend like this carved out 20 minutes of time in prayer. That's good to do, but most of my prayers are just ongoing because it's this ongoing relationship with God where you're just talking. Similar to like if I think of something in the middle of the afternoon, I'll just text my wife about it. It doesn't have to be a full conversation. That's how God views prayer. So I want us to look at this passage through the lens of how your prayer life might look different if you saw it more casual. Matthew chapter 6 verse 5. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that's all the reward they'll ever get. See, God is not interested in you repeating prayers that someone else wrote. He wants to hear from you. He doesn't want a Hallmark card with somebody else's words. He wants a blank inside. He wants your words because he wants that relationship. Like, what if every time my three-year-old daughter, Hazel, wanted to say something nice to me, she, like, opened up a kid's book and just read page four? Even if it was something super sweet, it'd mean nothing to me because it's not from her, it's from somebody else. That's not a real conversation. There's no authenticity because it's, it's not even her words. Verse six, when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. Then your father who sees everything will reward you. See, prayer is not a performance. Prayer is a personal interaction. It's, it's a personal intera- interaction between me and the one who created me. It's as personal as writing a letter to God. It's not for show. And, and Jesus isn't saying it's bad to pray in front of people. What he's saying is when you pray, whether other people hear your prayer, whether it's a group that's invited into your prayer with you, or it's on your own, remember, it's a one-on-one conversation. So even if people can hear what you're praying for, you're not praying for them. You're praying to God, to an audience of one. But we feel that we have to have the right prayer and we have to write, put, have the right words in there. And that's why it's so easy for our default to be, let's just pray somebody else's prayer. And Jesus is like, no, 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 that's not at all. Like, it's a one-on-one. That's why he encourages you when you pray, be as private as you can. 
so that you're not distracted by the room, so that it comes back to just the one-on-one we have. It's just like with my spouse, when I go on a date with her, the conversation we're having, because we're not surrounded by family and by other people, we can go deeper and be more intimate because it's just us. And that's what, that's what Jesus is saying is he wants to have the kind of conversation with you where spiritually you can just be honest and raw with him. Verse 7, when you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. And he's saying there's a lot of religious people that they pray for show, but it doesn't mean anything. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need, even more than you ask him. See, God doesn't need your prayer to be good. He just wants them to be real. That's why I'm not a huge fan of the pre-written prayers. It takes out the relational component, which is the whole purpose of prayer. So even now, like Jesus continues on, and he, and he gives us this model prayer that's the most famous prayer that's ever been prayed, and a lot of you guys haven't memorized. A lot of you maybe grew up in a church that you prayed this on a weekly basis. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but if that replaces your prayer life, then, then it's not personal. Because it's just like if, if the, every time you, you talk to your care ones, you're like, I just want to share how much I love you. Let me pull out this greeting card really quick. If that's all you ever communicated with them, like how deep is that? So Jesus goes on by giving us a model prayer, not a memorized prayer. And there's a difference. This is not, Jesus doesn't say pray this. Verse 9, what does he say? Pray like this. Do you see the distinction? He's giving us like a stock template of how to pray. Like these are the things to pray through. But there's nothing special about this prayer. Jesus is just saying pray like this. And a lot of people took that as, oh, we have to pray those exact words so that we can be like Jesus. Like, no, 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 pray like this. These are the kinds of things to pray for. This is the posture to pray. If you reduce your prayer to just a passage that Jesus didn't pray those words all the time. There's often where Jesus prayed in the Gospels, and that's the only time he ever prays that prayer because it was never meant to be a copy-paste prayer. It's kind of like if you guys have ever, like, bought a photo frame. I imagine you have. I don't know why I said that. Like, you guys ever bought a photo frame? Like, when you buy it, what comes in it? It's like a stock photo, right? This one is of me and my wife biking together um, right here. So uh, this is a beautiful picture, my wife and I. Um, how awesome. You buy a frame, and it comes with this wonderful picture of these complete strangers that are now a part of my family because I have a framed picture of them, right? How weird would it be if I just hung this up in my office? Like, well, I wanted to put my picture, but they already had one. So I'm just stuck with that one now. And who are those people? I don't know, but they're in my family now. So they mean a lot to me because I have a picture of them. That, that, why is the picture in here? It, it's not to keep and to say, this is now the picture I will display to the world. It's an example of what we're supposed to put in there so that when you buy it, you know what size picture to put in there. Jesus, in this prayer that we're about to walk through, is giving us an example that we're supposed to replace, take out his words, and put in our own, like our own picture that we make to God so that it's personal to him. If you keep the stock photo in there, then what was the point? All you're doing is repeating what Jesus said. There's no authenticity in that. Our Father in heaven... May your name be kept holy. And there's nothing wrong with repeating these words, but again, that's it. How deep are you going to go with God? Some of you feel you don't feel close to God at all because your prayer life has just been saying this over and over again. It's never really been about you. It's just been Jesus' words. 
Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. Jesus starts with God's identity as our creator and the relationship he wants to have with us. And what Jesus is saying here, see, a lot of us have interpreted that this is like a formal prayer, that we're supposed to come before God in a very formal posture. And I do believe that we're to have reverence for God the Father, the creator of heavens and earth, who made everything. Like, I I fear God in a healthy way. I have reverence for him, but it doesn't take away from the fact that God wants to know me on a personal level. And if I'm in Christ, the separation is gone. I can talk to him just as I'd talk to another friend. And so what Jesus is showing is, I want you to come to me like you know who I am. Don't talk to me like I'm a stranger. Talk to me like we know each other, which is not the way anybody prayed to a deity in Jesus' day. Like what Jesus is doing right here in his first public sermon is he is changing the entire perspective of how he wants people to view God. Still with reverence as all-powerful and all-knowing, but God wants to know us. And up to that point, there was no belief or world religion that said that God wanted to have a personal relationship with human beings. So this is blowing people's minds as he's saying this, the idea of this casual conversation with God that we have turned into this formal thing. But Jesus, it was a very casual language that he's using. He's changing their entire perspective of prayer. Verse 10, may your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What he's saying is not that God will accomplish your will, but that you will accomplish God's will. And many of us, the reason that we're not hearing the answer that we want to hear in our prayer is because we're just saying, God, just do what I want to do in my life. Jesus is saying, if you really want to have a healthy prayer life, you need to start by saying, God, I want to do what you want to do for my life, like your will before my own. And a lot of us skip over that. We just go right to what we want God to do for our life. Your prayer has to be for God's will in your life, not your own. God's not in the business of making your life easier and giving you whatever you want, and saying, name it and claim it. Or my answer is always, yes, just ask for it and I'll give it to you. That's the prosperity gospel. That's a different gospel than what Jesus ever preached. Jesus never said that. In fact, Jesus reiterates this the next chapter, because he, he could tell that there's some guys who, like, their eyes are glazed over, and they have no idea what he's talking about. So he goes back to it the next chapter in Matthew 7, 7, and he says, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find... Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. And the people that tuned out the beginning of Jesus' prayer about praying for God's will above their own, they saw that and they're like, oh, sweet. Jesus will just give me whatever I want. Like anything I pray, the answer is yes. And that's not what he's saying. He's not saying anything you pray, it's a yes, the door's going to be open. He's saying anything you pray, I will answer. And a lot of times his answer is no. Sometimes it's yes, sometimes it's no. I think more than any, it's wait. That's like the most common prayer I get, and I get frustrated because we often mistake God's silence for his absence, and we pray something, and we don't hear the immediate response we want when really God is quiet because his answer that he's giving us is wait. Some of you as parents, you know that your kids ask for something, and you know it's not good for them to have it right then, but maybe down the road, right? So it's not a no, it's a wait. That's what Jesus is saying there. It's anything you pray, I will answer. Even if you don't understand the answer or you don't like the answer, I'm not going to leave you hanging. In our relationship with Christ, if we always approach with here's what I want 
without asking, what does God want? We're always going to have a warped view of prayer. It goes on, verse 11. Give us today the food we need. Meet my needs. This is where I need you, God. This is where I fall short. For most of us, these are like, this is the most common part of the prayer that we pray. A lot of us jump to this part, right? Like our prayer is, God, I, I, I need your help here. And there's not anything wrong with that. But know that when you pray, or the context in which you pray, that Jesus challenges you is to always pray for God's will first before your own, because that's the will that will fulfill your life. That's the will that will lead to ultimate joy and fulfillment and purpose. If, you always, if your whole prayer life is just jumping to, I need this, I need this, I want this out of you, like that's a one-sided relationship. We all have friends that have been that for us, right? Like the friend that only came to us when they needed something or they wanted something, but you didn't hear from them outside of that, right? Like that's not the kind of friend that we really feel like we can trust. I see those friends on Facebook when like I randomly get Facebook message from someone I haven't talked to in nine years because they want me to join their pyramid scheme. You guys know what I'm talking about? <laughs> or sorry, multi-level marketing opportunity to be an ambassador. And I get a message like, from somebody I haven't talked to since high school, and they're like, man, I was just thinking this morning about you, Stephen. I know we haven't talked in a decade, um, but your name came up when I was thinking of who would really want to buy from me some organic pumpkin seeds, <laughs> and you came to mind, man. And I'm like, okay, unfriend, right? Because the only time they're talking to me is they, want so they just want to sail for me. They want me to fit into their pyramid. That's not a real relationship. But sometimes we approach prayer that way. Like our whole prayer life is, God, I need, I need, I want this from you, without ever asking, God, what do you want from me? And that's an imperfect, an impartial, an incomplete prayer life because we're skipping over the first half of the prayer that Jesus had with us. Verse 12, forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. Forgive us, God. And here's what's interesting about this prayer is, Sometimes we forget to ask for forgiveness. Like, I'm in Christ, so I know that God's grace is sufficient for me. Which means, as I continue in brokenness, and when I disobey God, because I've asked Jesus to be the sacrifice for my sins, he has forgiven me. So, Jesus isn't saying, every time after you sin, you better ask for forgiveness. That's why, like, you don't have to, before you die... Make sure the last thing you say is, God, forgive me for that last sin. So there's one that doesn't go unnoticed. A lot of people feel that way. What Jesus is saying is the practice of asking for forgiveness is not so that God will forgive you again. He's already forgiving you. It's so that you can acknowledge where you've fallen short, your brokenness, what separated you from God. Like if you can point to the areas of your life where you failed, where you've fallen short, where it created distance between you and God, you know for the next time. It also, asking for forgiveness makes us more likely to have a forgiving heart towards the people around us that we need to forgive. That's why he says, forgive us as we have forgiven those who sin against us. That's like Jesus' passive way of saying, forgive those who sin against you. He kind of says it with an assumed voice here, saying that if you're truly a follower of me, and you know forgiveness in me, then you will forgive the people that hurt you. We all have people that hurt us. Like right now, you have somebody that might ongoing continue to frustrate you and hurt you. And Jesus would say, if you remember how I've forgiven you, 
it will be less difficult for you to forgive that person. And some of us hang on to negative emotion or hurt that has been in our lives for, for, for years because we haven't really forgiven them. But the more that we recognize and remember how God has forgiven us, the easier it is for us to come to a place of forgiveness for the people that have hurt us. You can forgive someone without them asking, but how much more healing takes place when they do apologize? Like, I think that's, that's why Jesus wants us to ask for forgiveness. He's already forgiven you if you're in Christ and if you've asked him into your life, but how much more healing takes place in your own heart, in your own relationship with him, when you do ask for forgiveness? There's a healing process that takes place then. Verse 13, don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Give us strength to overcome, boldness to keep moving forward. That's like the prayer that the early church prayed that we talked about last week, that they're faced with like great persecution, and their prayer is give us the boldness and the strength to keep moving forward. See, prayer doesn't need to be perfect. It it just needs to be appropriate. It just needs to be appropriate with what's going on in your life. And so if you, if you continue to pray the same prayer, it's not appropriate based on this different seasons of life that you're in. Some of you love to write down your prayers, and I think that's a great practice. And if you looked back at a prayer that you wrote down like a year ago compared to now, it probably wouldn't be as relevant because you might have been in a completely different season and had different prayer needs. And what Jesus is saying is pray what you need to pray at that moment with what you're going through. It starts with God's will, and it ends with God's will. It's about being honest with where you're at and what you honestly need. It's about confessing where you've messed up, where we're tempted, asking for strength to overcome. It's asking God for wisdom. Like That's how we develop a more significant relationship with Christ, is by pausing and spending time with him, interacting, developing this relationship. Do you do better in life when you ask for wisdom and counsel or when you try to make decisions on your own? Wisdom and counsel, right? Like I've invited people into my life. I call it my wisdom table. People that I've invited, given more of an exclusive invite to speak into my life. People that I look up to uh, as encouraging voices of wisdom in my life to say, hey, will you speak into what I'm doing? Because I think I'm going to make better decisions if other people are speaking into it, rather than me just running ahead with whatever I think is best. I had breakfast with four of those men that I've asked to be at my wisdom table just this past week at Good Days just down the street. And once a month we get breakfast. And I just, I said, as, as a new pastor uh, who God has given the, the privilege of serving um, a lot of different families in the area, I need men that can speak into my life and help me to make wise decisions and help me to discern, is this where God is calling us? Because I believe you're always going to make better decisions in collaboration. So we spent like an hour and a half at Good Days, and and I I just shared, here's where I feel like God's taking our church. Here's how things are going in my family. Here's where where we can use help and prayer. And, And they just, they encouraged me. I believe I will make better decisions because those people are in my life. I believe you're going to make better decisions, wiser decisions, if you ask God for help. Even if you aren't sure if he's there. I believe the posture of humility that it takes to say, I can't do this on my own, and you're opening yourself up for help, I believe even then that you'll make better decisions because you'll be looking for ways that God will answer your prayer. If you begin to ask for God to speak to you, you will find it sooner because you'll be looking for him to answer. 
That's why James says, if you lack wisdom, let him ask of God and ask with confidence, knowing that he's there, knowing that you don't have to doubt him. James 1, 5 and 6, one of my favorite passages in the New Testament, it says, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he'll give it to you. He'll not rebuke you for asking. Now, why do you think he says he'll not rebuke you for asking? Because often we, we, we feel like we need to figure it out on our own. And God is saying, you can't figure it out on your own. You need wisdom. So I'm not going to rebuke you when you come from, from, with a humble posture towards me. When you ask God, be sure your faith is in God alone. Don't waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. He's saying, when you pray, have confidence that God hears you and that God will answer. Otherwise, it's it's like when you ask somebody in your family or a friend to do a favor for you, and then you don't trust they're going to do it, and then you just do it yourself. Have you guys ever done that before? Kind of offends the person, right? It just shows distrust. And what God is saying is, if you're going to lift up your greatest needs to me, trust that I'll hear you and that you're not alone. Have confidence that God hears your prayers. God wants to meet with you. He does. It takes faith to truly believe that he's there. I mean, a lot of us, we don't pray because we don't really believe prayer can change things. It takes faith to really believe that by praying, it changes your situations, it changes your circumstance, and it changes your heart. But what if, just this week, what if you prayed for 20 minutes this week? And I'm not talking about 20 minutes at one time, because some of you are like, I'm out. There's no way. I don't even, I'd run out of words after like 90 seconds. Like 20 minutes throughout the entire week. Just prayed three minutes a day. I bet that if you prayed just three minutes a day this week, you'd see a change. It's not like God's going to bless you and you're going to win the lottery this week. You're going to see a difference in your perspective. You're going to see a difference in your emotional level. In fact, we're even setting up for the next 21 days between now and Easter uh, Sean and I have set up a 21-day uh, prayer, uh, like texting uh, service that you can opt in. Uh, we have a graphic right here. If you text the number that's on the screen, so I'll say it for those that are listening, uh, 781-836-0016. If you just text the word hello to that number right now, then you'll be added to a texting service that for the next 21 days, you'll be spammed with a lot of pyramid schemes. I'm kidding. Um, no. You'll get a text at 2.20 in the afternoon every day for the next 21 days with just something to pray for for that day. That's it. At the least, even if you don't pray for that thing, you can cheat. It's okay. At the least, it's just a reminder to pray that day. And we tried to pick like a random middle time in the afternoon when it might be easier for people to pause and pray, that you might be in the middle of something or working at your desk or whatever, and you see that text. You might not even be able to pray then, but it might just be a reminder like, I want to pause and just pray for three minutes today. So text that real quick, 781-836-0016, text hello. I think that's Brian Buford's cell number. So like if you want to spam him this week, um, that's a great number to you. I'm just kidding. That's not a cell. Um, some of you got really excited about that, and that's weird and evil. Um, listen, God wants to hear from you. He doesn't care if your words are beautiful, if you're articulate. He doesn't care if they, if they match up to the same words that people before you or around you prayed. He just wants to hear from you, and he's ready to respond. Let's pray together. God, I thank you that any time I want to stop and talk to you, you're there. There's never a busy signal. I never even have to open with the right words. Like, God, you're just there. And God, I pray, first of all, that we 
can become better at praying for your will above our own. I pray that we can come from a place that we're not just asking uh, for help when we need it during times of crisis, but that we can develop a regular conversation with you, God. I don't want to have the kind of relationship with you where I only come to you when I have a need, God, because that's, that, no friendship in my life is healthy where that's what it is. I want to have a steady relationship with you where we're always talking throughout the day, even if it's a 10-second prayer because I'm stressed or exhausted or overwhelmed, or to pray for a friend. God, I pray that, that we can stop viewing prayer with such a formal posture that we miss out on the constant opportunity to meet with you. God, I recognize you as fully, as fully all-powerful, as the creator of the universe, as the Abba Father, that you are grand, and, and you are so much more superior than I am. And so I do pray to you with reverence and humility. And at the same time, I recognize that I can have a relationship with you like Jesus talked about, God. For the people in this room that have never said yes to you, fully gone all in on you, Lord, I pray that they know that their sins can be forgiven. If just right now they would say, God, I know I'm broken. I know that I've fallen short. But I know that you died on the cross for my sins. So I ask for forgiveness so that I can start this relationship with you. Lord, if there's anybody that prayed that today, I believe they are a new creation and that they're starting a brand new journey and they've made the most important decision they'll ever make, God. Lord, I thank you that you give us a direct line to you anytime we want it. And anytime we're overwhelmed, we can pause and call a timeout and talk to you. Thank you, God. We pray this in your name. Amen.